0: Welcome to the Crosswalk Church Podcast, in Phoenix, Arizona. I love this because this passage really clearly indicates that everything that baptism brings to the table for us, and there are many blessings that we get from baptism, really start back with the death of Christ. And uh, listen carefully as as Peter talks. Another interesting thing to know about this text is many scholars believe that Peter wrote this to a group of Christians that had just recently been baptized. And so this letter is, in essence, a sort of explanation, not only of what baptism is, but also what the new life of a believer after baptism is to be like. And that makes this especially meaningful for us. So 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 to 22. For Christ died for sins once for all the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit, through whom he also went and preached to the spirits in prison, who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at, the, is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. You know, in this series that we're talking about fuel for our journey fuel for our souls so that we can reach that destination that God wants us to reach, eternal life in heaven with him. We talked about that last week, and we, we made one very blatant statement that I just want to repeat this morning, and that is to say this, it matters very much to God that we reach our final destination of eternal life in heaven. That's why he sent his son, and that's why, as the passage we just read points out, he raised. His son Jesus from the from the grave. What if you heard God very much wants you to get to heaven? And you also heard, as we said last week, that in order to get to heaven you have to have the right fuel. But no one had any idea how to point out to you where to get that fuel. Wouldn't that be kind of frustrating? Imagine, for example, that you have this big, beautiful new sports car that you're driving around, and, um, and you discover that it has this sort of special engine in it, and no one can tell you where to fill it up. You have this great car you could be driving, it could be taking you to all kinds of wonderful places, but you don't know how to get the fuel so that you can go there that be horribly frustrating? And that is how some people feel it sort of is with the fuel to get to heaven. They feel that since this is a spiritual matter, it's, it's kind of a, an unknown and sort of mysterious thing how we get fuel for our journey. Some say, for example, if you want fuel, spiritual fuel for your journey to heaven, go out into the wilderness and maybe somewhere in the the middle of the wilderness, in in the quiet of the wind, rustling through the pine trees, God may encounter you if he chooses. Go and try that. Some will say, God may encounter you in prayer. Talk to God. Maybe go to a quiet place and and reflect on him. Meditate. Go deep within yourself. Maybe as you reach deep within your own heart, you'll hear God's voice. Possibly. Because God works in mysterious ways, we're not really sure, some people say, how a person gets fuel for their journey. Is that really the way God works? that he sort of leaves it up in the air, that we're not really sure because this is a spiritual matter, because, because God does work in mysterious ways, is it sort of an up-in-the-air thing? How to get fuel, where to get fuel for our journey? Well, I think if you heard last week's message, you already heard that there is one main gas station for you to fuel up at, and that is in this book, the Bible, God's work. One of the things that I appreciate about God is that the Bible also reveals to us that there are several other very tangible ways, very readily identifiable ways in which we can go to fuel up for our journey to heaven. And I, I love that God does it this way, and in fact, he's done it down throughout history that he attaches his words and his promises to some very tangible and physical things so that we as human beings can relate more closely to God. God knows that he created us as physical beings. And isn't it awesome that he created this thing called a sacrament, which is really a, a physical element like water or in the case of communion, wine and bread, and he attaches his words and promises to these physical things, so that in the combining of his words and promises with these physical elements, he refuels us. He gives us fuel for the journey to heaven. Before we dig deeper into this, I think it's important for us to understand some things. First Peter, I told you, is really a letter written to some people who, reportedly had just been baptized. And in 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 12, Peter tells us what the theme of this letter is, and I'm going to read 1 Peter 5:12 if you have your Bible with you this morning. I want you to just open it up to 5:12 and read along with me. Here's what it says. It says, "With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly." And here's the important part. Encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God, stand fast in it. You see, ultimately, what Peter is telling us is that whether it's through the Bible, through its words and promises, or through the sacraments, baptism, or the Lord's Supper, the true fuel, the core fuel that gets us to heaven is the true grace of God. And that's why Peter ends his letter by saying, stand fast in this grace of God. I want to take a few moments to define some terms so that when you go away today, I think there's one main goal that I have. And that is that you go away with a clear picture of all right, I want to get to that, the end of that journey too. I want to reach that destination that matters to God. I want to get to heaven. But how do I consistently get the fuel that gets me there? And as you walk out of the church today, I want you to know that's where I get it. First of all, as we said last week, you get it from the Bible, God's word. This morning we're talking about baptism and why that is an also an important place for you to find fuel for your journey let's define some terms first of all if grace is the core fuel that we all need what is grace one of the things that we learn about ourselves from the Bible is that we're born with a huge problem there's a huge issue and it's called sin we have fallen short of where we need to be to be with God in eternity he sets up his holy will he represents it very clearly in the commandments Jesus summarized it in the two great commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. But as we look into God's holy will, and we're really honest with ourselves, we're, we're constantly faced with the reality that we're not fulfilling the will of God in our lives. And that brings guilt and shame. And it makes us realize that if we want to be in heaven, if we want to reach that destination that matters to God, we've got to find an answer or a solution to this problem. And that is what the grace of God is. It is God's answer to the problem of sin. And here's the Bible's definition of grace. You find it in Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7. And I put this in your crosswalk notes. And it says this. God passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. That verse, in a nutshell, tells us what grace is it is God's willingness to be slow to anger. To abound in love that is faithful, meaning it lasts and lasts and lasts. It's always there. He is compassionate and maintains love to thousands, meaning to everyone, really. And he forgives us despite the fact that we're wicked, we're rebellious, and we're sinful. Here's my way to reframe all of that and restate it in a very short way. God's grace, in other words, is God's faithful love toward undeserving people. God's faithful love toward undeserving people. That faithful love is the power, the fuel that drives us toward heaven. But if that's the fuel, and here's the real question that we're trying to answer today, how do we access that fuel? Imagine, for example, and you know this, we have power all around us, power all throughout this building, provided by, I don't know, SRP or APS. But you have to have a way to to access that. You have to be able to know where to plug into that power. And that's exactly what God gives us in the Bible, in baptism, and the Lord's Supper. He gives us a means of access so that we can tap into this powerful and wonderful love that we don't deserve, but that is always there for us. Notice that Paul, the apostle, talks about that faithful love and how powerful it is in Romans chapter 116. I I put this verse there for you, too. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, the good news of God's grace. I'm not ashamed of the good news of God's grace because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. In reality, the Bible tells us that there are three ways, three access points in which we can reach that gospel message. As I said already several times this morning, the Bible is one. But the, the other two are what we lump together into a term called a sacrament. And in the, in the Bible, we're taught that God gives sacred acts in which he attaches his promises to them. And in those sacred acts, then he promises to bless us, to give us spiritual blessing. Those become the access points, the, the plug-ins, as it were, to access this powerful grace of God. Here's what a sacrament is. A sacrament is a sacred act that was established by Christ that combines earthly elements with God's word of grace and which offers spiritual benefits when we act on them. Let me me repeat that. It's a sacred act. It's established by Christ. It combines earthly elements, and by that I mean water or bread or wine, with the word of God, especially his word of grace. And it offers spiritual benefits when we act on them. There are only two of those, baptism and the Lord's Supper. Now, where did Christ establish baptism? After his resurrection... Shortly before he was to rise up into heaven, notice what he says. I put this in your crosswalk notes too. Matthew 28 verse 19 says this, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That verse established baptism for all believers of all times as the place where We can make disciples. It's really clear there that 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 whole phrase of making disciples is also attached to the word baptizing them. So baptism is a great way that we can help people grow deeper and deeper in their faith in God. One final definition for you. And that is, what does that word baptism mean? Is this getting a little academic for you this morning? A little different this morning. But it's important for us to get some of these terms down. What does baptism mean? Well, I put a passage in that actually tells us what baptize means. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. Now, literally, that word is the word baptizo in the Greek, unless they baptize. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing or baptizing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. And by the way, some ancient copies of the, of the Bible add to this list couches. And that's Mark 7.4. The important thing for us to realize is the Bible's very clear in defining that baptism simply means to wash. So, when we come to to baptism, we are literally, spiritually being washed. Baptism means to wash. All right, a few academic basics about baptism. Let's go back and just review those really quickly. In order to have the power to reach God's final destination of heaven, we need God's grace. That is His power. We access that power in three ways. They're all called the means of grace. The word of God, baptism, the Lord's Supper. The last two we combine into a term called sacraments, sacred acts, established by Christ, which bestow spiritual benefits on us when we act on them. And finally this morning, the one that we're specifically talking about, baptism, which means washing. Now let's dive into what are the types of things that baptism gives us. And for that, we need to go back to 1 Peter chapter 3, our text for this morning. Notice that in 1 Peter chapter 3, the very first thing that's done in verse 18 is this. For Christ died for sins once for all the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit, through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. Now let me me go through that kind of briefly here. Christ died for sins once for all. That is a beautiful passage. I want you to think deeply about what that means. He died for sins once for all. When Christ died on that cross, he completed in that one act everything that was needed for all people of all time. An amazing act that took away all sins of all people, for all time. You know, one of the big things that we as people in this world have to deal with is something that we talked about a few moments ago, is the fact that we do fall short in keeping God's commandments. And that does leave us feeling, many times, horribly guilty. Evidence of that is all around us. In fact, I just received an article from a friend yesterday. He was uh, tied into... um, Uh, uh, an article that was on MSNBC's website. Very interesting. Confession, a staple of Catholicism, is appearing in different formats. Thousands of people, thousands of people, for example, have posted anonymous online confessions on church-run websites like mysecret.tv and ivescrewedup.com. Those posting have confided feelings of guilt, over abortions, or their homosexuality, while others have confessed to extramarital affairs, stealing, eating disorders, addictions. Even murder has been confessed to on some of these websites. People dealing with their guilt and the shame. Bobby Grunewald, pastor at an Oklahoma-based megachurch, says... We do believe there is value in confessing our sins to each other. Their church website, mysecret.tv, has received more than 7,500 personal confessions since it started in 2006. Ministers and volunteers pray over the confessions as they come in. And the conclusion is, this process may be a more modern way of people discovering the value of confessing their sins. Interesting. But what it shows is the deep need that we have. A need that is, that is revealed by that proverb that we all learn probably as kids. Confession, you can probably help me finish it, right? Is good for the soul. And truly it is. If our confession is to take our sins the cross of Christ, and to know there that forgiveness that is beyond all understanding, that faithful love and grace of God. Because you know what really puts the brakes on our wheels more than anything else? Is the fact that before God, we are guilty. These are not just feelings of guilt that we're experiencing when we do wrong things, when we sin against God's holy will, there is truly guilt there in the sight of God. And because we were created not to rebel against God initially or to run away from God, we were created to walk in parallel to God. When we start to to curve off that parallel, we're also curving off the very person, the very one who gives us life. And so our lives more and more and more begin to feel like a drudgery. The guilt and the shame of our sins begins to pull us down. That's why sometimes psychologists refer to it as baggage, right? Because you're constantly dragging all this stuff around with you. And no wonder you feel like you're running out of fuel. God says that the way to get rid of that is to tap back into that powerful grace of God, that faithful love that he gives to undeserving people. And he says one of the most wonderful ways to tap into that grace of God, that forgiveness of sins that is for all people of all times is through the water of baptism. Listen to how Peter puts it. Remember, he's writing to people that have just recently been baptized. And do you hear what he says? He refers back to Noah and his ark. And he says, you know, those people were disobedient too. And God waited patiently in those days. But in it, finally, in that flood, he saved people through an ark, a boat. The water lifted that ark up. And in the same way, the water of baptism lifts you up out of the the muck and the mire of your guilt and shame and sin. Listen, in it, in this ark, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. Isn't it amazing that God literally attaches this promise that when we're lifted up out of our sins by the waters of baptism, that our conscience becomes clear and clean again. literally, he says to us that baptism washes away sins. In fact, not just here, but in many places throughout the New Testament. Pick up your crosswalk notes. I want to point out at least... One passage that says that really clearly, Acts 22, verses 14 to 16. This is the Apostle Paul. He's speaking to a crowd, and he's describing when he was converted to Christianity and how a man named Ananias came to visit him and talk to him. Now, in Paul's conversion experience, you know, it was kind of a... a a really out there conversion experience. For a little while, he was blinded. This man, Ananias, came to him in a town called Damascus, visited him and healed him of his blindness. And then Ananias said these words to Paul. Then Ananias said, the God of our fathers has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. Notice what it says there? Be baptized and wash your sins away. That's the awesome thing that baptism will do for us. Now why, why is that so important that I've made it the first point? Well, What baggage are you carrying around today? Because as a human being, we all have this tendency to want to take something to the cross and then pick it right back up again. And and when we fail to pick it back up again, guess what? We have a special friend. Not really a friend, really an enemy satan whose nickname is the accuser by the way the accuser who loves to take our baggage bring it back to us and say here take it back you don't want to be going through life without your guilt and shame who do you think you are and he'll pull it all back isn't it amazing how you and i that we can remember things that we did years and years and years ago And we think we've left it all at the foot of the cross, and we're still really dragging it around. And that is so hard and so draining. And that's why Peter comes back to baptism, and he says, you know what, when you were baptized, friends, your sins were well and truly washed away. Have confidence in that. Know that that baptism, it it took your sins away once and for all. It took you right to the foot of the cross. In fact, Peter says it also took you to the resurrection. It says, it is the pledge of a good conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand. Just like this water lifts up out of this fountain. So Jesus was lifted up out of his grave, and when we are washed with the water of baptism, we are lifted up into a new life of freedom and purity. Before God, that's what baptism does. Baptism washes away our sins. That's our first point for this morning. There's another wonderful thing that baptism does for us, though, and that's this. When we're baptized, we're not only led to the cross and led to the empty tomb, Baptism actually does something that is amazing. It, it takes these hearts of ours, and it helps us to cling to the cross and the empty tomb. You see, by nature, by nature, all of us, we don't want to believe that it, that it could be quite that easy just to take our sins to Christ and he forgives them all. It seems like foolishness to us. And yet, that's exactly what God's plan is, that we come simply to the cross and receive that forgiveness of sins that he has for us. We're so shy to believe that. There's that natural pull that says, isn't there something I need to do? Isn't there something I need to work out here? It seems way too simple. Way too easy to believe that Our sins could simply be washed away by by coming to Christ. God, please give me something to do so I can work my way out of my sins. That's the natural thought. And God says, no. It's a totally free gift that I want to give to you because of what my son did for you. And and here's the other thing. I'm also going to give you the gift to be able to believe in this, to be able to trust that your sins really are gone, that you don't have to pick up that baggage anymore. Take a look at what Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 and 27 says. You are all sons of God through faith, In Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. You know what's kind of interesting about Peter's day? In Peter's day, and one of the reasons that he writes this letter to them, the Christians were undergoing persecutions. And in those persecutions, some of them started to drift away from their faith in Christ. Some of them started to fall away. And then later on, they realized the big mistake that they made, and they wanted to come back. And they wondered to themselves, wow, will God accept me back after I've deserted him this way? After I've left him? And you know what? That's a very contemporary issue, isn't it? Many of us have been through that maybe not because of persecution, maybe for our own reasons, we grew up as a Christian and for many years we just stopped trusting. Or if we didn't completely stop trusting, we stopped obeying, we stopped coming to church, we drifted in our relationship with God, and maybe we're facing a very similar question to the one that those who had been persecuted were facing is, will God have me back? Does, does God, is, is He willing to take someone back who's kind of fallen by the wayside? And what Peter says to these people is go back to your baptism. When you were baptized, you became part of God's family, He became your father, you became His child. You actually put on Christ like a garment so that no matter what you do in this life, even if you fall away for a short time, when you return, he always, always, like a father who loves like no other, will accept you back. You know the story of the prodigal son. You know that when that son finally woke up in that pigsty and looked up and said, I got to go back. To my father. The father did not even wait when he saw his son coming a long way off. He flung open that door and out it he went so that he could embrace that son that had been lost but was now found. That's God's faithful love. You want fuel not only to know that your guilt and shame is gone. You want fuel that tells you also that you will have the faith that will last until you die and be in heaven? Tap back into that wonderful thing called baptism where not only were your sins washed away, but but clearly a brand new garment was given to you and a brand new relationship, a certainty, all doubts washed away. See, one of the wonderful things about baptism is it strengthens faith. And you can tap back into it for the rest of your life as a way to continue to strengthen your faith. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus, Paul wrote to the Galatians. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Baptism washes away all my doubts. And here's the final blessing of baptism. In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, we hear of Peter being described as preaching a sermon. This is shortly after Christ has been crucified, and he looks straight into the eyes of this crowd in Jerusalem, and he says, it's you, you who crucified the very Lord of life. The people are cut to their hearts, by Peter's words, his direct honesty with them. And they say to him, Peter, what do we do? We've we've committed a a horrible act here, according to what you're telling us. And Peter's answer to them, I put it in your crosswalk notes, is repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. We talked about that already. And you will receive the gift of, Of the Holy Spirit. Clearly, in this passage, baptism is linked to the gift of the Holy Spirit. Imagine a battery that gets stronger with use instead of weaker with use. Most batteries, you know, most power sources, as you use them, they get weaker and weaker, and weaker, until they wear down, and you you have to replace it with a new power source. Maybe the closest thing I could compare baptism to that I could think of is kind of like a, a nuclear power cell in a nuclear submarine. You drop that baby in there once, and it's pretty much good for the life of the submarine. It's that good of a power source, and that's how baptism is. But you know what? It's even better than that because it adds this one twist to all of that, and that is you actually charge this power source the more you use it for your own personal faith and strength. You see, one of the things that baptism is made for is for us to go back and be reminded that, hey, this washed us clean not only of sins and guilt, not only of doubt, but it also washed us clean and empowered us to live a brand new life here on earth. When we were baptized, what we just read from Peter is we received the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, why was that important for Peter to say? It was important for Peter to say that because he knew that one of the natural responses of the person who has the Holy Spirit living in them, is they're going to want to go to work for God. They're going to want to start living a life that's pleasing to God because they're grateful to God. They're saying, God, how can, I, how can I possibly thank you for the fact that you've given me the gift of heaven, that you've washed all my sins and guilt away, that you've given me this faith that clings to you no matter what? How can I possibly live this life? that will show that I want to obey you and thank you for everything you've done for me. But he also knew, Peter knew, that struggling inside of our heart for an equal place with that thought of gratitude would be what the Bible calls the sinful nature. And that there's this constant battle Going on for the territory of your heart and mind, pushing back and forth. The grateful heart, filled with the Holy Spirit that wants to say, How can I please God for all He's done? But also the old sinful nature that says, Forget about God. Who cares about Him? Think about yourself. And that constant struggle going on is a deadly struggle. The the sin nature in all of us does not like it one bit that the Holy Spirit has moved in to the house of our heart. And he is constantly trying to push back, chase Christ from our heart, chase the Holy Spirit from our heart. And if he can, he will cleanse every corner of our heart. the presence of the Holy Spirit, and he will be working on that. Our old Adam, our sin nature, will be working on that for the rest of your life and mine. He never gives up. You know that struggle, don't you? It's the struggle, we've talked about it here in church, that's depicted in the cartoons. of The guy with the little halo on one side of your shoulder and the the guy with the little pitchfork on the other side of your shoulder, constantly battling for control of your heart and your mind. Peter knew that to beat down that old Adam, we need, we have got to have the power of the Holy Spirit. And he said, when you get baptized, that baptism also puts inside you the power of the Holy Spirit that will let you prevail in the battle against your sinful nature, against your old Adam. And that is something that's so important for us to remember because I'll tell you, that battle some days feels awfully tiresome, doesn't it? As you keep wanting to say thank you to God, but you feel that old Adam like like an anchor, around your ankle, urging you to be selfish and self-centered and greedy and thinking only about yourself. You drag that around. It gets tiring. And that's when Peter says, go back to your baptism. And remember that, that God washed away also the power of that old Adam to prevail. In the long run, you are going to prevail. Look at Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. Have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. That is so huge. In baptism, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, so are you to live a new life in Christ. Here's your third and final point. Baptism washes away your weakness that wants to drag you back into the control of the old Adam. What an amazing sacrament. God attaches his promises to this water, and when he does, he basically says, your sins are washed away. He says, you've clothed yourself with Christ, and your faith will be strengthened, and he says, your weakness, your tendency to flop back under the control of the old Adam is washed away too. Take a look at those next steps in the crosswalk. Know the clean feeling that only baptism can give you. Baptism is a power washing. If you haven't been baptized, I urge you, take time today. I'll be at the back table after the service. Let's talk about it. Some of you may be wondering, how can I re-up my baptism? Well, we talked about how baptism is that battery that the more you tap into it, the more powerful it becomes. Here's how you tap into it. Sorrow over sin. Trusting Christ for forgiveness and recommitting your life to walk in obedience to Christ is how a Christ follower re-ups his baptism every day. And finally, meditate on and memorize Acts 2.38. It's a beautiful passage. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That, dear friends, is the cleansing power of baptism. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you so much that you've given us this tremendous sacrament. In this sacred act, our sins are washed away. You promised that. And and you give us strength to make it all the way to the end of life, to that destination that you want us to reach eternal life in heaven with you and you give us the strength also to fight the good fight here in this life. Lord, help us all to tap back into this, this awesome fuel cell called baptism daily by resubmitting ourselves to you, taking our sins to your cross, humbly recognizing that we are sinners and yet also gloriously, joyfully remembering that your son's death and resurrection have paid the complete price for our sins. Lord God, Heavenly Father, help us to find strength for our walk with you in this wonderful sacrament. Truly, you wash away also our weakness in it. Lord God, Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you've given us this wonderful and tangible sacrament in which we can enjoy your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name.